Good morning. For, for our call to worship, we're going to go to a really familiar passage, not a chapter, just a, two verses in Philippians, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. They're going to be familiar. You probably, many of you have them memorized, but I want to slow down and just take a look at them. There's four phrases in these two verses that we want to look at carefully and see how it relates to our uh, to a call to worship. The call to worship is where we're just kind of trying to grab people's hearts and pull them back in after being away for a while. <clears throat> Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let's look at those four phrases. Be anxious for nothing. Anxious, sometimes it's worded differently in different translations, but it's distracted or troubled by cares, by worry, by nervousness, by, by anxiety. Sometimes um, we're living in times where things are a little goofy and we're Trying to figure out what's next. But um, we're not to be anxious for anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All that's saying is tell God what you need. Tell him what's bothering you. Take a moment this morning. I got permission from Dan for you to kind of pull away from his sermon for a second and cast all your cares on him. Um, Just tell God what you're, what's bothering you, what you're afraid of, just plain and simple. If you're praying out loud, you have to be kind of eloquent, and you think about what you say. When, it's, when you're praying to yourself, these are the prayers that matter. You just pour out what's in your heart. Um, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. You know, Peace is just this tranquil state um, Fearing nothing, content, a, a quiet confidence. This is what God's peace is. Um, and it's, the NASB says, surpasses all comprehension. Some verses, versions will say understanding. To the world, it makes no sense. This peace that you can have in the middle of all this turbulence. Um, it makes no sense to the world, but to the believer, it does. God gives this peace. Um, and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard means just to protect. It's kind of a benevolent custody. Um, you think of a castle keep. Remember, the innermost part of a castle, the most protected place was called the keep. And this is where if the battle wasn't going well, the guys could retreat off the walls and run back to the keep, and they'd be safe. It's the safe room, if you will. And this peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your hearts, your emotions, your mind is your thoughts. These will be guarded with and be just held close to Christ. So we don't need to be afraid. Again, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
So take some time and just settle your heart. Just unload things, put them on the table, things that bother you. And then, uh, then come back to singing or to the sermon and uh, worship with us. Thank you. And Lord, I just ask you for that this be a day of worship. This would be a service of worship to you today that would be pleasing to you. Lord, I, I pray that as we continue that we can worship you in song, we can worship you in your word, and I pray that you would make your word clear to us as Dan speaks. Um, we ask all of these things in your mighty name. Amen. I've really grown to love them. Um, I, they're a little, little awkward in the pool, but, you know, for the most part, really, okay. Um, before we jump into the, into the text, I, I really am convinced one of, the, one of the greatest vehicles to show the glory of Jesus Christ is marriage. And I'm, this isn't, I'm not building up to a joke. I mean, I, I really believe one of the greatest ways to show the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ to the watching world is to show redemption with a husband and a wife who are both sinners together honoring Christ together in their family. That being the case, um, Andrew and Sasha are going to get hitched. I mean, he hasn't asked her yet, but they're going to... So, uh, Drew and Sasha, if you wouldn't mind coming up, and Day and Daniel, if you guys would come up, and Dennis and Mitch, if you would, and I guess that's the whole congregation, why don't you come up here... Um, we can lay elbows on them and pray, okay? You sure? Okay. Well, come on. Get in here. All right. And what I'll ask is, is uh, Daniel, would you pray, and then I'll pray? Okay. Thank you. Lord God, we do thank you so much for this opportunity for Sasha and Andrew to show their love for you through holy matrimony. I pray for them that they would they would be dedicated in their marriage as they make a covenant before you and mm-hmm. men to each other. And I just pray, Lord, that you would sanctify them through this and that they would grow in their relationship with you as a result. Father, seeing two lives come together with all of the difficulties and potential temptations that are there. Father, it truly is beautiful and clearly your design. So Lord, I I pray for Drew and I pray for Sash as they, Father, as they commit themselves to one another, as they have both already committed themselves fully to you, but now, God, they want to have a union that is yours. And Lord, there's bound to be a lot of grace needed for each other. But Father, how often and how rich and how powerful might this marriage show Jesus to this world? And so God, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm excited for the fresh love between these two, but also the fresh desire to honor Christ and to be partners in this ministry, God. So bless them as they make plans and think through future and 
all the things that go along with that, God, would you bless them as they seek to make much of you in their union? I love them, Father God, and I, I pray for wonderful things for your namesake in their marriage. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs> okay, if you insist, ah, turn to Genesis chapter 6. I didn't have anything prepared, but let me, uh, yeah, okay. So we're going to be in Genesis 6, verses um, 9 to 17 is the, the text this morning. So Genesis 6, 9 to 17, um, but I want to read from the book of Hebrews before we do that. So hold a finger there and then turn to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. This is kind of a, uh, a backdrop for this message and really a backdrop for the next few weeks of, of our study. So Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, him being God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it in a cubit above and, the, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower and second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. I googled this morning. I woke up at five and everybody sound asleep. Um, so I did what I always do, which is... <laughs> is that you, Lloyd? can't tell. He's wearing a mask. So, um, Which, by the way, I said this at the first service, I want to say it here. I just presuppose you're all smiling and in agreement with everything I say, because I can't see your face, so that's a facial expression that I have dictated. Unless somebody asks me, do you want us to draw a smile on our mask? You bet. Go for it. I googled uh, Noah's Ark. I'm just curious to see what the world has to tell me about Noah's Ark, which, by the way, is nothing. But as I Googled that, what came up was a bunch of silly pictures of little, um, 
little boats with real fluffy little animals waving and this bearded happy grandpa smiling and waving as this boat went around. <clears throat> and I... Okay, so I, what, the caveat is I absolutely believe in taking the word of God, the truth of God, and bringing it to a level that a child can understand. So don't judge me too harshly. I believe in children's ministry. I believe in bringing truth, uh, putting the cookies on the table for kids to be able to get and say, now I know what it means. I do not believe in dumbing down the text to a point that it is silly, especially when the silliness is contrary to the whole point of the text. The gravity of this passage has been, has been dumbed down. It's been almost hijacked to some level where you take the judgment of God and then you take pink frosting and cover it in the frosting to make it so that way it, it may actually go okay in the world. So we have the little boat with the beanie babies waving at us. No, actually, that's a disgrace. In, the, in reference to the text of the Bible. Because, beloved, there's nothing sweet and happy about what's happening here. This is actually one of the gravest parts of the storyline of the Word of God. Because he's going to destroy everybody and everything. How do you make light of that? How do you shrink it down so that way it's something sweet and light. You can't. You can't. And so here's what I want you to consider along with me. This will be the theme that walks through this whole study and will be the theme that I plan on ending on. At times, obedience can leave one feeling very, very lonely. At times, obedience can leave one feeling very, very lonely. The longer you're a believer and the longer you know who the Lord is and what his word says and the more you try to align your life with what he says to be true, the more you will be determined to be strange, off, a little different to this watching world. Because you are now officially banking your life on something, someone they can't see. And the interesting part is if you walk through the Bible, but even if you go through your own life, there are times where you will be the most popular human being among the world while simultaneously walking in disobedience to the sovereign creator. When God told Moses, speak to the rock, he hit the rock, and everybody rejoiced. Blessing Moses. And God tells him later, this is why you are not going into the promised land. Because I told you to speak to the rock, you hit the rock, and I produced water. But you walked in disobedience in the midst of your greatest day of popularity. At the same time, Stephen, you could say Paul, but I'll say Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, is, is on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and, and is declaring Jesus. It's one of the best Old Testament studies where Stephen walks through all these Old Testament to show that Jesus is the centerpiece of the Old Testament scriptures. And guess how they respond? They throw rocks at him until he dies. So simultaneously, at that moment, absolutely pleasing to God and just, just despised and rejected from man. 
Beloved, there are times where you and I will choose to walk in obedience to God in His Word, and you will look foolish to everybody around you. You will have people say, what are you kidding? You gave how much to so-and-so or to this, that, and the other? You didn't go to that party? You haven't even seen that movie yet? I can't believe you'd raise your kids that way. Why on earth would you instill those kinds of principles into them? They're going to be so weird and never accepted. Or, I mean, that's, that's in the States. That's in our little happy world. Let's move into a third world country. If they're going to take your head for Christ, do you plan on saying you believe in him or you don't? What are you, crazy? Hide that Bible. We're going to meet uh, at midnight. We're going to meet in the basement. And we're going to bring flashlights and bring a few scraps of the Bible and talk. And if anybody finds you, do you lie or tell the truth? The, the closer we get to Jesus Christ, the stranger we are here. I remember... And when I was a little kid, hearing this phrase a lot, me saying it, but also just friends around me saying it, I don't fit in. Now, part of that is I wore snakeskin cowboy boots, and that never fit in anywhere. But this concept of I just don't fit in, that is the ever-present mantra of the Christian the longer, and the, the longer you are in Christ and the closer you get to him, the more you will appear strange. And beloved, I'm, just, I'm preaching to the choir. I know you know this, but the longer I watch what's happening in our culture, in America right now, the more you are strange for the principles that you're building your life onto. So taking that concept, let's apply it to this guy. And God says, there's a huge flood coming. I'm going to destroy everybody. And what I need you to do is I need you to build a boat, and I'm going to give you all the specs. And I want you to get your kids, and I want you to start building this boat, and I want you to start preaching while you're building that boat. Everybody's going to think you're an absolute crazy man. But this is my word, and I've made it clear. Go to work. The more I have studied Noah, I love this guy. I love this guy. So look, look at your Bible with me, verse 9. And outline's pretty simple. The man for the job, the coming judgment declared, and um, the, uh, the vessel of mercy. So first, the man for the job. Now, this is very tricky, okay? And there's something I have to warn you about that I warn my own heart about because of some of my upbringing, and maybe some of your upbringing. I don't know if it is or isn't. I'm not blaming anybody that taught you. I'm just saying this potential hazard Watch out for it. We read the Bible so that way we can find good examples to be like. Now, in and of itself, if I were to say that, most of us would say, well, what's wrong with that? Good examples are good. And I I agree. It is a shallow handling of the Bible if the Bible is simply, I need to go find good examples so I can do better. And when I do better, God's happier when I do better. Let me just say, the folks who are seeking to do better to make God happy so that way he'll let them go to heaven, they go to hell, period. That's the truth of the word of God. And that offends people, bothers people, I know that, but I'm not going to lie. 
the word of God is not here for you and I to read and say, I want to be more like Noah. And that imagine if the application of this message was, therefore, PCBC, go be more like Noah and make God happy by how you do good stuff. That'll last at least until Sunday evening because you'll fail. I'll fail. The point of the scripture is to show the great and glorious star of the whole movie, quote-unquote, is God, not Noah. And so I, I want to put that out there right off the bat, because when I say I love Noah, I do. And I want to follow what I see in him here, but that's not the point of the text. I feel like that's got to be made real clear, because it's a mishandling of the Bible when we just pick up the Bible and say, I want to find good examples to follow. Well, if I'll put it this way real quick. If the Bible's there to show us good examples for us to follow to make God happy, then Jesus died for nothing, which is Paul's argument in the book of Galatians. So obviously that's not the point of the text. All right. Who is Noah? Well, look at verse 8. We ended on this last week. Verse 8 gives us the very first glimpse of this man. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So verses 1 to 7 tells us about how nasty the world's getting. Sexual sin, hungry for power, violence running rampant, and the world is just imploding with gross corruption. So all of the intents of the heart of man are evil. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, at times, folks may want to rush to that text and go, wow, in all of the world, there was only one good guy who never sinned. Well, number one, that's in error because he did sin. And we'll see in chapter 9, he will sin. But more than that, we're told that all men died in Adam, in sin. That's been clear. Romans chapter 5, and we saw that in the fall in chapter 3. Noah is worthy of the wrath of God. But something is different in him. If you look at this verse, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Anytime, most of the time when somebody describes grace, they make reference to it as undeserved merit or the undeserved undeserved favor of God. Favor is another word for grace. Noah found grace from God. Not because he deserved it, not because he worked for it, not because he earned it from God, The description we're going to hear about Noah is wonderful, but it kicks off with grace, not with good works. Don't miss that, guys. Please don't miss that. Remember, the whole point of the book of Romans and then the edited version in Galatians is to say the just live by faith. You're justified by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 6 to 7. Noah was just, why? Because of faith. Not because he built an ark. Oh, you built an ark. Now you'll go to heaven. That, That is heresy. That's not true in any way, shape, or form. Noah is justified by faith in the promise of God. Did he know everything you and I know on this end of the cross? No. But for that which was revealed to him that he knew, he believed in faith. And so Noah had grace from God. What else do we know about him? Let me give you my list, and I'll walk through it, okay? Here's Noah. Noah is a sinner, while simultaneously righteous. Now, I'm not saying he does bad stuff and does good stuff. I'm saying he does bad stuff, but is in the righteousness of Christ. So he's a sinner. He's righteous. He's blameless. He walked with God. He's a husband and father. He's a herald of righteousness. 
and he's a student and follower of God's word. First and foremost, he found grace. Secondly, he's a sinner. Romans 5, Genesis chapter 9, verse 21. Next, he's righteous, justified by faith. But then this other word, look at the text. It says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Why would it say righteous and blameless? Blameless is kind of covered by righteous, and righteous is kind of covered by blameless. Unless the two are referring to two different categories, which I would argue, he's righteous from another righteousness as he looks forward to the coming of Christ, but he's blameless in his action. Um, The reason I make such a huge deal about this, you guys, is that there is so much... uh, Misunderstanding and arguing over justification and sanctification. Justification being, I am declared righteous by the work of Christ on the cross. Sanctification, I am progressively changing and becoming more and more obedient to God and His Word. So you've got justification and sanctification. One is the work of God, the other one is the work of man with God. And in that practice of sanctification, we're told Noah was blameless as God is working in him. So he's justified in God, he's righteous, but in his life, in his doing, as he lives his life, he's walking with the Lord. He's walking in obedience to God. Now, we may hear that and go, well, that's cool, but but just think carefully about the generation he's doing this. This is why it says it in the text, for emphasis, that he walked blameless amongst his generation. In this nasty, lost, sinful, gross world, this man stands different. He's salt and light, if you will, in his generation, along with his family. So he's received grace, he's a sinner, he's righteous in his justification, he's blameless in the way he lives his life, And where is that blameless life coming from? Look at the text. Noah walked with God. One of my very favorite descriptions of our life as believers is our Christian walk. So when when somebody comes and says, Dan, how are you doing in your walk? There's there's such a, a, a biblical flavor to that word. It touches my heart a little bit more than somebody says, how's your Christian life? Which, it's saying the same thing, But that concept of how's your walk, because really what they're asking is, how's your doing? How is is your doing as a Christian? What is life looking like for you as you walk in obedience? Noah walked with God. He lived a life where he was closer to God than anybody else. He lived a life where his actions were based on one in particular person who was watching what he was doing. I heard one person put it this way a few years ago. He said, the Christian life is really what you do when nobody's watching. So when when somebody says, Dan, how are you doing as a believer? How are you doing as a Christian man? My first concept is not, well, am I preaching? Well, am I meeting with people? My first concept that goes to my mind is, what is my life like when nobody can see it? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it full of sin? Is it, is it progressively changing? What is God accomplishing? Noah walked with the Lord. 
he was cognizant of God's presence. Remember, we heard this same phrase a few chapters earlier with Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and the Lord took him. The Lord took Enoch from this world. Well, I put this other thing in here that, honestly, it didn't even come to my mind until later in the week that he was a husband and father. I don't know about you, but typically when I think of Noah, I don't think of him as a dad. I realize it's a big part of the story, but when I've thought about Noah and I I feel like I have a grasp of the text, my thought process has been you got the boat, you've got all the animals, and you've got Noah driving the boat and, and that whole concept. But in the midst of the generation we talked about last week, this, this generation that is so filled with love for violence and sin. Noah's a dad, apparently raising three sons. And this is where it pierces me as I think of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I think of James, Sam, and Benji. As Noah is a man who's seeking to walk with God, in the weirdness of a fallen world with three little faces asking him questions about why he does stuff that other people don't do and why he doesn't do stuff that they see other people do. Daddy, why, why do you talk like this and that guy doesn't? Daddy, why, why don't you say those words? Daddy, why don't, you, why don't you live for that? How come you aren't married to seven or however many different wives but you only have one? Daddy, why, why are you so weird in this world? As Noah is a man who walks with the Lord, walks in prayer, walks in integrity, I think it adds, it's a special emphasis that struck my heart even more. He's doing all that in the context of a family. Not just the watching world, which you could argue is harder or easier. Personally, I would say it's harder to live the Christian life in the midst of your family and really walk in integrity with those who know you best. But the scripture says this man was blameless as he raises his family. Well, turn with me. This is a very fascinating part. We're going to go right back to Genesis. But 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, 2 Peter 2, 5, um, another description of Noah. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Um, I'll start at verse 4, because what, he's, what Peter's doing here is he's giving an illustration, and he brings up Noah as an illustration. But what I want you to, to catch is the description he gives in defining what Noah was, what he was doing. Verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah a herald of righteousness with seven others, it's his family, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. That phrase is one of my very favorite words in the Bible, herald. Um, Another word would be proclaimer. Another word would be crier, like a town crier. Another word would be preacher. It's the person that would rush in and say, I have a message from the king. Hear ye, hear ye. Everybody, stop what you're doing. The king has something to say. And what we're told here is that Noah was a herald, but not for any king. He was a herald for God. 
This is what a prophet would do. And we're told that Noah, as you'll see here in just a bit, he's given instructions to build this ark. Apparently, in the midst of all that, Noah was not a silent worker. He was not simply a craftsman building this boat with his lips shut, but he was declaring and preaching a message that God had provided a means of salvation, which nobody took him up on, by the way. As this man declared, spoke, of righteousness on behalf of Almighty God. Well, he was also a student and follower of God's word. If you look at the text, it says, um, Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, what I want you to see, and I'm going to look at this next week, but just look at the last verse of chapter 6, verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, there's an interesting category here, you guys, because when I say God's word, for instance, if I asked you to show me God's word, what would you do? What would you show me? You'd show me the word of God, right? The Old Testament, New Testament. 66 books, the inspired written word of God. If we were to ask Noah to show us the word, what would he show us? So there's two kinds of revelation General revelation, and theologians, they're the ones that come up with these terms, general revelation and special revelation. General revelation where God reveals himself through his creation. Remember in Romans chapter 1, he says, he's revealed his character and his power through that which is made. The heavens declare the glory of God. So when I look out there at the ocean, I don't say, wow, billions and billions of years ago, yada, yada. I look out there and it, it pushes my attention up to the designer. It's like this quick, instant, boom, boom. I see the creation, but then it takes me right to him. It's like if, if I come home and my wife makes this incredible birthday cake and I scarf the cake and it's just delicious and I fall fast asleep. There may be some truth in this story. And then there's, it's all gone and I never once say, oh man, that cake was so good. Or I can't believe you would do that as such a gift. Or Something's missing, guys, is what I'm getting at. So how despicable to look out there at creation and say, oh, that is magnificent, and then go about our business without ever giving a glimpse and saying, I can't believe you designed this. So that's general revelation. God's made himself known through that, which is made special revelation is where the Lord specifically comes and reveals himself. And when we say special revelation, we believe the holy written word of God. God spoke in many different ways through various people, through various ways, Hebrews says, but now he speaks to us through Jesus Christ. But in this time, the special revelation received from Noah was direct special revelation from the king himself. Now, that's as far as I can go, because I don't know, did he hear of an audible voice I don't know exactly how God clearly communicated with Noah. The text says he said it, and I believe he said it. Not only that, but please notice, Noah never said, who's talking to me? But he always knew who was talking to him. He knew very clearly, Almighty God. After all, he walked with him. What kind of relationship does that look like in reference to hearing God speak? I will be honest and say, I not, don't really know. I truly don't. But what is so profound about this 
is that it's special revelation with one guy. And it's a sinner. He's a sinner. Noah should be damned. He should be in hell forever because of his sin and his offense to God. But he found grace. And he walks with the Lord. And God in his grace specifically lets himself and will see his plan be known to Noah. Beloved, I don't know what else to call that but mercy. That is absolute mercy for Noah not to get what he deserves because God has um, um, chosen not to give that to him. So here's the man for the job. And the biggest thing I have to get across, if, if you miss some of these finer points, that's fine. But the biggest thing I want you to get across, Noah was not selected because Noah is better than other people. Noah was selected because God selected him. I know that our natural thought processes is usually he picked Noah because Noah is better than other people. Well, then Noah better be patting himself on the back for the rest of his life and glory in his own works righteousness, which we know that's not true. And not only that, beloved, but please don't forget what it says in Hebrews. It is impossible to please God apart from faith. Okay, I digress. Here we go. Coming back. Now, the coming judgment declared. The coming judgment declared. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. Just that concept of it's overflowing, it's teeming with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. All of it. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I'm, I know most of, most of you guys have, probably all of you have at some point had some human being come up to you and deliver news you had no desire to hear. Um, I, I did a notification for the sheriff's office yesterday and it never gets easy. Um, when you come to somebody and say, are you so-and-so? I, have, I need to share some news with you really quick. Um, and then you unload it. And the response is, nobody ever knows how they'll respond to those, that kind of news. But I have never in my life had anybody say to me or had to say to anybody, the entire world is going to be destroyed. So I want you to build a boat. And I know we take Bible characters and we build them up. But don't forget, beloved, he's just a guy. He's a godly guy. He's a good guy. He's walking with the Lord. But break into the text a little bit. Put yourself into Noah's sandals. How do you react? to the sovereign of the universe when he says, I am going to destroy everybody. It is all going to be completely wiped out. And it's coming so soon. Verse 12. 
Did he hold his breath? Did he faint? Did he scream? Did he did tears start falling through his his, eyelid, his eyes down his face? Did, how did he respond? I don't know. And this, this is the tough part for me, is I'm such a visual person. I, I'm trying to visualize what is the response of Noah when God says, this is what I'm about to do. Now, if he ended there, Noah would go away in a heap. But instead... He adds this. Look down there at your Bible. He says, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. Now, I'm not touching on this today because I want to give a, a full sermon just to the ark and the typology of Christ found in the ark. I'm, I'm going to do that a little bit down the road. So I'm just going to kind of take that portion and set it aside as far as all that's connected to the ark and what the New Testament says to us about the ark. But let's just get this clear in our mind. Noah, I want you to build a boat, and I'm going to destroy the world. And there will be no thing that will make it look like you have two brain cells to rub together while you do this to the watching world. I want you to act in faith. Now, if it started pouring rain that moment and everything started to get some, some decent puddles, and people are walking through puddles, and no one came and said, guys, 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 I'm supposed to build an ark because there's a huge flood coming. I just saw God. Don't you see the rain? Don't you see it? You might have some people say, well, you know, you've got something there. That maybe. But instead, what, as we're going to see unfold in the coming weeks, no, no, you do this. And everybody will think you're insane. Because you're going to tell them, God's word said this, I believe it, and on this planet, I'm going to build this boat, when I say boat, more of a barge with a lid, um, and more, it, the design was for buoyancy, not for to cut through. It, wasn't, it had nothing to do with speed or anything like that. It was just to live in and be kicked around at sea for, for a length of period. <clears throat> so Noah, I want you to go do this, and... I want you to be a herald of righteousness, and as you do this, no doubt there will be ridicule for you and for your family. Now, remember, steel chainsaws hadn't even been invented yet. No cranes, no log trucks, most likely hand tools. I, I don't know exactly what they may have had at this time. Remember, some of the descendants of Cain were very inventive in what they were building, so I'm sure... There's ingenuity in man. I absolutely believe that. And so there may have been some things at this time that helped them in their design and in their building of this. But my goodness, you guys, we'll, we'll look at the actual size of this in the coming weeks. But I bet Noah picked his jaw up off the ground when he was given these measurements of what he's told here to build. But even more so why he needs to build it. So, we got the man for the job, we've got the coming judgment declared, 
And finally, we have the vessel of mercy provided. Do you notice that God in his grace has provided a vessel of mercy and every part of me wants to rush into how all this points to the gospel, but I want to save that a little bit. But let me just say this. Beloved, think carefully about this. They are getting into a vessel that will save them from the wrath of God. And that word pitch, spread pitch all around, the idea is as a covering. Another word for covering is atonement. I'm absolutely convinced that there is a type, meaning an Old Testament physical thing that's pointing to a spiritual reality, namely the Lord Jesus. He is the door. Anyway, I'd, we'll go there. We'll go there. My point for simply for today, though, a vessel of mercy is provided by God. God graciously provides a way of escape to Noah and his family. Noah's task will be one of difficulty. Noah trusted God and his word even when... He looked like a crazy man in the midst of his generation. Now, let me remind you of this, and this is a part that is vital to the whole study that we're doing together in the book of Genesis. Because a promise was given at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It's the first gospel hint in the Bible where God tells in the curse narrative to Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So that serpent's dead, but he's going to hurt his heel as he does it. So the one who, who thwarts and kills Satan is going to be the one who also painfully endures something. It's very, um, just a slight hint, but telling us about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how do we have the seed of the woman if everybody is dead? You know what? Not everybody is dead because here's Noah and his family. Beloved, the ark is not just saving one good family. The ark is following the promised line of Christ that was promised by Almighty God in Genesis chapter 3. You mean to tell me, Dan, that Noah, after the whole world's destroyed, and Noah and his children, they continue on in the line that's moving towards the Lord Jesus Christ? You bet your boots I am. That's what I believe with all my heart. God is a... God who always keeps his promises and always follows them. At times, his promises are satisfied and fulfilled in ways you and I wouldn't even believe. Nobody would have guessed Mary would have been the mother. And Joseph, the the one who married Mary, nobody would have put this together. Even when he's crucified, the apostles run away scared. They don't even believe that's the way God's satisfying his promise. So you mean to tell me this ark is actually God's promise being carried through that he gave to Adam and Eve in the garden? Yes. And as we walk through the rest of Genesis, we're going to come to Abraham and see Abraham's line. And he's about to kill Isaac. And you're going to go, whoa, 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 we can't kill Isaac. What about the line of Christ? Well, he doesn't kill Isaac. And it's amazing, you guys, as you walk through your Old Testament Jesus falls out of the Bible everywhere. Everywhere. All right. Let me me finish on this point. God is going to destroy the world here in history. I believe in a worldwide flood. Um, We will get to that more as as we end the coming weeks. But let me end on this. Perhaps somebody said this to you. 
I have had people say this to me, friends, good friends who would say this to me. The Bible is not relevant today. The Bible is not relevant for today. It's an old book. It's a dusty book talked to, that, that was written by men long time ago. It's been translated so many times, it's flooded with errors, and God doesn't speak through it. I don't know if he ever did speak through it. And therefore, our job is to learn a little bit more about how man made religion. And the Bible and the Koran, they're both good, helpful things we can use it for. But there's no relevancy in the scripture. Now, that's a hardcore response. But then there's more soft where somebody will say, it speaks to a time in history that's not relevant today because of the Enlightenment, because we're smarter today, and because we don't have rampant sin like we did once. Really? Let me just read this to you, and you tell me if you can draw connections between Noah and Dennis or Lloyd or Dan. Living for God in a perverse, fallen world that is growing deeper and deeper in love with sin and a greater hatred to God. Trusting God's word and walking in obedience to God's word, even when ridiculed for it and made to look a fool in the eyes of the world. Seeking to warn of a coming judgment where the wrath of God will do away with all those who are not in Jesus Christ. Raising kids who are very confused because their dad and mom act so different than the rest of the world and they don't know why. Walking close to God. The difficulty of walking close to God as a great safeguard to all of the temptations clinging to our soul. And trusting in the promises of God that He's faithful no matter what, even when it looks like He's nowhere to be seen, He's holding true to His promise. Beloved, all that I just read there applies to Noah. And everything I just read there has a direct clear application to every one of you. I'm not building a boat. I may build a dory someday. I've thought about that. But that's that. But I'm not building a boat. But the coming judgment is no longer a flood. There's a rainbow, remember? I am one of those guys that I literally believe when the rainbow comes up, it's God reminding me he will never flood the earth again. But he is going to destroy this world. We're told that the earth will melt with fervent heat. What does that mean? Not exactly sure. What am I sure that it does mean in a general sense? He's going to destroy this world. He said he'll separate the sheeps and the goats. Who are sheeps and goats? Simple concept. He's saying those who are righteous in Christ in heaven, those who are not righteous in Christ, those who have denied the Lord Jesus and denied his atoning work on the cross will be in eternal judgment. So there's a great judgment coming. Interesting. Sounds familiar. Um, huge judgment coming, and God graciously in special revelation has told you and me judgment is coming. And God in his grace has given you and I a blueprint, a, a game plan, a way of escape to be saved from judgment, from wrath. But it's not a boat. It's a person. When Jesus Christ suffered on that tree and endured the wrath of God, 
He was paying this and suffering the payment for Dan Mason's sin. The sin that I do, Jesus died for. And his righteousness is mine. I'm in the ark of Christ, if you will. And this world all around me laughs at the discussion of a judgment that's coming and mocks me and mocks you as you seek to kindly, courageously seek to be a herald of righteousness, calling out the truth of the gospel. Beloved, all I'm getting at, you're Noah. Looks a little different, I I know. You're not building a ship necessarily, but you're Noah. Have you watched the news? Have you, have you seen what's taking place in your world? Do you know what's happening in third world countries to believers today, this hour? You know the animosity and the anger and the bitterness? You know the, the pornography that runs everywhere in this world? You know the violence that is worshipped and enjoyed in this world? And we look at Noah's day and say, ew, what a gross place. That's the air you breathe and I breathe. So I see Noah as a man that obeyed the Lord, walked in obedience, followed his word because God had graciously brought him in and called him. Beloved, he's done the same to you. He's done the exact same for you. And so on that day, he walked in the ark. God shut the door. I was talking with another brother this week, and he he said he envisioned people just clawing at that ark as the rain started. But it was too late. I am more uncomfy in this world than I used to be. Not, Not totally, obviously. I love things in this world, unfortunately, and in some ways that I know are not right. But it seems like the more I see God and I see his word and understand uh, what his word says and I start to see what's true, I am amazed at how opposite the world thinks. I'm amazed at it. I just can't believe how, how different the world thinks in reference to truth. And so, you may not fit in, but you are salt and light. And you are called to be a herald of righteousness. And the wrath of God's coming so quick. So build the boat, if you catch where I'm going with that. And be faithful. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I know that there are so many struggles God, there's there's so much pain in lives, so much animosity right now, so much anger, violence. God, my prayer for Pacific Coast Bible Church, please, Father, help us not be detoured from that which we know will change the world. 
Help us to grip the gospel tighter. And Father, help us to be more quick to declare the good news of Jesus. Knowing that there is nothing that will change this world outside of that message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And God, help me to walk closer with You. Help me to be one that is more blameless than before. As I seek to declare your message and be a herald. I pray and ask this in your son's name.